so I want to get started. Right. So I'm going to, as always, uh, ask you to put yourselves on mute unless you would like to make a comment or ask a question, which uh, is always welcome. Don't don't hesitate. Uh, let me open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for your grace to us. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful salvation that we have in Christ Jesus, our blessed Lord. We thank you for uh, his life, for his death, for his glorious resurrection. And we thank you for your spirit that dwells within us. We thank you for your word, uh, Lord, which you have given to us uh, to show us who you are and what is required of us. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would uh, once again lead and guide us uh, as we look into it tonight. Uh, bless our time in it and our conversation. And we'll thank you for it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Last week, uh, we uh, started on Habakkuk and uh, we uh, reviewed the historical context and the background. Um, it was a very tumultuous time. Uh, if you recall, there's a lot of military conquest going back and forth across the, uh, the, the hallway there of Israel. And uh, the, the nation itself uh, was in a moral downspin. Um, and that, that corruption was probably best reflected in the actual king of the time, Jehoiakim, whose behavior was marked by the worst kind of perversity and arrogance uh, towards God. And Habakkuk uh, cried out to God, why and how long? And he questioned uh, um, what he perceived as God's inactivity in verses uh, in chapter one and three. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. And the question of why is, is often encountered in scripture. And sometimes the Lord uh, gives us an answer to the question. Uh, Haggai, another prophet, um, is one example in chapter one there. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in the purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Why? There's a question. Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a room, each of you is busy with your own house. So in that case, the Lord uh, tells them why, why they were not prospering, because uh, his own house was in rooms. Sometimes God gives a direct answer. Sometimes he doesn't give an answer uh, at all. Uh, We remember the account where, a few in the New Testament, a few people came to uh, Jesus and they said, you know, uh, why did Pilate do this? And why did that tower fall down and kill those 18 people? And uh, that would have been a very good time to answer why. All right. But he doesn't. He says, do you think that those are, are worse sinners than you? And then he says, repent or you likewise will perish. So sometimes God answers the why. Sometimes he doesn't. Uh, Abaka understood, understands the why here that he states in chapter one, verse 12, uh, the latter part. 
You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have, have ordained them to punish. So Habakkuk understood that uh, the nation was going to be punished. Uh, that he got. But the fact that God is using an evil, more evil and corrupt people uh, to execute that judgment brings more questions of why. Uh, you, you know, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate long doing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up the more righteous? So uh, Habakkuk describes the coming Holocaust as a fishing for them with hooks and nets. And this is actually historically accurate. Um, from Babylonian art, uh, it shows that uh, the Babylonians would often carry off their prisoners strung together by a literal hook in the bottom lip um, as they uh, marched away. So they were very ruthless in that regard. And then, of course, we read in uh, verse 5 of chapter 1, where God did respond, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. I am going to do something in your days that would you would not believe even if you were told. We should not be surprised that the Almighty does not think like we do or that he does not act to meet our expectations or what we should think he should be doing or should not be doing. And we have to face it that God's ways can be shocking. There's a one other place in scripture where this verse five is used. Does anyone know the context offhand? I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if I were to tell you. Well, it's actually, it's used in Acts uh, chapter 13, starting at verse 37. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. For I am doing something in your day that you would never believe even if someone told you. So we not, should not be surprised that uh, God uh, uh, does his mighty works. And in this case, he's talking about the resurrection. <clears throat> uh, who would believe it? And if you think about the many things that God did, I mean, if you were told, who would believe it? You know, sending a, a worldwide flood. Who believed them? Parting the sea for the Hebrews to escape. They all thought they were going to perish. Or the incarnation, or the virgin birth, the resurrection, the ascension. Who would believe these things uh, unless they had been told and, and demonstrated? And if we believe these things, we should surely be able to trust him and to act in our own time and in our own lives. So having asked the wise, chapter 2 opens, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. How do you feel that this 
uh, is a reversal of what Habakkuk declared in chapter 1, verse 2. Back there, he said, How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry to you, violence, yet you do not save. And yet this verse is kind of a reversal of that, where he says now that he's going to stand and watch. I, I, have, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So this is, a, he knows now that God's hearing. He's not, he's, he's prepared for God's answer. He's going to look to see what he will say. And in verses two, chapter two, verses two and three, the Lord speaks. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. He instructs Habakkuk to write this down. And remember that as, as a prophet, the prophet was, was speaking to the people uh, for God. He was that kind of that mediator. And the Lord equips him now with a message. And God makes it clear that what is being told will certainly happen. Yet we must bear in mind that at the time of the writing, the Babylonians will not get to Jerusalem for another eight years. But God reassures them in his word, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. You know, God is never too early and God is never late. Remember when Jesus arrived at the tomb of Lazarus in John eleven twenty one. We read there, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Martha thought that uh, Jesus was too late. But we recall the well-known verses of uh, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But those verses also end, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And again, we read the same type of certainty in Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things, those long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. 
Those verses are definition of sovereignty. So moving down to then to verse four, we are given two ways to understand what is about to happen. Verse four. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul shall not uh, write within him. His soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now, the first reference there is to the Babylonians, that, that uh, ruthless and impetuous people that we read about in chapter one, the feared and the dreaded who scoff at rulers and laugh at fortified cities whose own strength is their God. The second part of that refers to the faithful, that in spite of what is about to happen, they will still trust God in faith. Their faith in the promises of God to save and restore are to be found in the future. After the destruction, after the 70 years in exile, but they will be found. So we come to verse 6, which refers to the surviving nations as well as the faithful. Will not all of these uh, take up? Oh, uh, uh, let me, I skipped five. Let me go to five and six. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol. And he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Will not all of these take up a taunt song against him? Even mockery and insinuations against him and say, woe to him who increases what is not his. For how long and makes himself rich with loans? All of the nations and all of the survivors Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn? Now Habakkuk is about to launch into God's design for these same Babylonians that he has called uh, to bring upon judgment upon Jerusalem. And, um, uh, Isaiah 14 speaks of this as well. Uh, The Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he will choose Israel and will settle them in their own land. Foreigners will join them and unite the descendants of Jacob. Nations will take them and, and bring them to their own place. And Israel will take possession of the nations and make them male and female servants in the Lord's land. They will make captives of their captors and rule over their oppressors. On the day the Lord gives you relief from your suffering and turmoil and from the harsh labor forced on you, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has come to an end. How his fury has ended. The Lord has broken the rod of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, which in anger struck down peoples with unceasing blows and in fury subdued nations with relentless aggression. All the lands are at rest and at peace. They break into singing. Even the junipers and the cedars of Lebanon gloat over you and say, now that you have been laid low, no one comes to cut us down. 
And in verse six, uh, we begin to, to be introduced to, uh, there's five woes pronounced in this chapter. Now the Hebrew tra- word translated woe can mean alas. It can mean, uh, how terrible for you. Or perhaps more fittingly, as one commentator said, in this context of mockery, um, it probably should be translated ha. Ha, the word carries a denunciation and, and threatening meaning, a mocking meaning. Um, and the pattern of each one of these woes as you go through it is basically because of this, then this will happen to you. That's kind of a cause and effect of judgment. You'll see it as, as, as I begin to read it. Yeah, you just follow along in the, in the scriptures. Verses six through eight. Will not all of them taunt you with ridicule and scorn saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you'll become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. So what's kind of the cause and effect there? Did you pick that up? So that's about, is this talking about um, the Babylonians that are going to, you know, in turn receive their their punishment because of what they did? Is that what we're talking about? Yes, exactly. Okay. It's kind of the, uh, you know, here we see that uh, because they plundered, okay, now their victims will plunder them. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what goes around comes around. Okay. All right. And so uh, that's kind of what we're, what, what's happening here. Okay. So that's the first woe. And the second woe, it continues in verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> woe to him who builds his house by unjust gains, setting his nest on high. <coughs> To escape the clutches of ruin. You applauded the ruin of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. So cause and effect here, all right, is that the, the Babylonians were secure. They, they in their conquest, they they built their, their homes, they built their fortresses uh, high up. Uh, they thought that they were protected. No one could touch them like a bird's nest up on high. All right. Um, but uh, though they plotted, uh, ruin, ruin would be coming onto them. And the very houses that they trusted in uh, would indeed come to destruction and would basically almost call out to them um, uh, their sin. third woe in verses 12 through 14. And this kind of serves as a bridge between the first two woes and the fourth and the fifth woe. 
Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This cause and effect is a little harder to see. Uh, The message translation puts it this way. Who do you think you are? Building a town by murder, a city with crime. Don't you know that the God of the angel armies makes sure nothing comes of that but ashes? Make sure the harder you work at that kind of thing, the less you are. Meanwhile, the earth fills up with awareness of God's glory as the waters cover the sea. The Babylonians, when they uh, often built and rebuilt the cities that they conquered, and they took great pride in it. Um, it was uh, an indication uh, of their might. And if you recall, uh, we get some of this in, in Daniel. Remember when Daniel, uh, where Nebuchadnezzar boasted about what he had done? Uh, he, Nebuchadnezzar said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Mm-hmm. Psalm 127.1 reminds us, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the gods stand watch in vain. So what this is saying is that, yes, they may build, and yet it will come to nothing. And rather than the Babylonians having glory, it will be God's glory that will ultimately uh, cover the earth. Well, you know, one thing that I find interesting with all of these verses is um, as you read them, you realize that, you know, they're prosperous. They're doing really bad things. You know, they're shedding blood of innocence and, you know, they're taking and, you know, and making all of this great stuff for themselves. And that seems so unjust to us. Right. So I think that from that point, you can see that, yes, justice will come to them. But in the meanwhile, they're getting away with a whole bunch before justice comes to them. And so I think for, from our point of view, you know, it, it, it does make you feel like how long Lord are you, are, are we going to have to wait? You know? Um, and I think that this is saying it the other way, this is saying, you know, eventually God will, you know, punish, but yeah, they're going to get away with a whole bunch of stuff before God, you know, takes action. Yeah. yeah. And Steve, you're exactly right because that's exactly what the Israelites would say to Habakkuk. All right. Um, they say, yeah, but they're getting away with this, you know, and and I think that's why God wants him to write that down where it says, though it tarries, you know, back in verse three, though it tarries, wait for it, for it will surely come. It will not delay. All right. Now, of course, that's God's time. That's not our time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Who was that? Pastor Bob, I would just say, too, it's kind of encouraging in a sense because. We always think that the wicked prophet uh, prosper forever, but ultimately everyone's going to face judgment, whether it be on this, uh, in, in this earth or on the eternity to come. But there's always going to be an answer for the wicked that a person does. You may not see it. And the great nations, the, the whole Canaanite land being conquered was because they were so wicked that they 
had child sacrifice. You know, Babylon was conquered. Rome was conquered. Will America be conquered? We don't know. Not yet, but it's, an, it's only a matter of time if you keep being wicked, wicked with your, with your, with your life and with your process. If you do, if you build with blood instead of build with righteousness, you're ultimately going to pay the piper. Yeah, absolutely, John. No one escapes judgment. All right. Whether it's the, this life or the next. Um, but, but it's, it's coming. And uh, that's what these, these woes are pronouncing. These are the woes that the, those Babylonians can expect. And, uh, the people that Habakkuk is going to be t- telling this to, obviously they're, they're living through this time. They're, they're being, uh, persecuted. They're being crushed. Um, and like Steve said, you know, they're, they're, they're wondering, yeah, yeah, but, uh, how long is this going to be? These guys are living high on the hog and, you know, we don't, we can't even get justice for, for little things. And that's why the just shall live by faith. They have faith in the promise of God, prom- God's promises that justice is coming. All right. It's, um, it, it will not, it will not, uh, miss its mark. So we move on then to the uh, fourth woe, verses 15 to 17. Um, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that they can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. And this woe is, uh, is a bit graphic. And it uh, refers to the Babylonian practice of inducing drunkenness to abuse their captives uh, by, by rape and exposing their nakedness uh, to debase them. Uh, this applies uh, not only to sexual abuse and exploitation, but as we see the, read in verse uh, 17 there, also the violent abuse of the land and animals and peoples. The Babylonians, when they conquered, they practiced the, the, uh, the scorched earth conquest. They would not only kill the people, but they would kill and slaughter the animals, and they would cut down the trees and use them for their own uh, buildings and uh, leave nothing on the land uh, that would be worthwhile. Uh, so they left the land naked. Um, and uh, God says that the cup is coming uh, to them. And, um, uh, you know, now it's your turn to drink. And this is time it's going to, it's the cup of God's wrath. I have a question. I have a question. Yep. Uh, the woes that word is used here it sounds so much like the woes of revelation is is there anything uh connected to those two different words at all no they pretty much uh, carry the same connotation the hebrew from what my reading um in in this context all right is is more of a mocking uh rather than kind of like uh uh perhaps a uh, a cursing but they're very similar. 
Pastor Bob, a really, um, maybe not a minor point, but in verse 17, when it talks about, you know, the abuse of the land, the abuse of the animals, it could be a message to us as believers in, in, in God, that God cares about his creation. He cares about his animals. He cares about his trees. And if we go about abusing it, it's not looked upon with favor. I don't know if there's any kind of connection there, but I mean, if as a Christian, I would say that we have a responsibility to our environment because God treasures the environment, treasures the animals, not to abuse them, not to abuse the trees, not to abuse nature, you know, and I I just see that in that verse. I don't know what you could say or what you thought. I think we we could apply that, John, because God does care for all of creation, Um, you know, um, and and we shouldn't uh, be abusive or exploitative. Uh, of the natural resources. Obviously, within the context, it's talking about, you know, uh, uh, judgment upon the, the military tactic of, of, you know, destroying the land. And, and that was common to, to many of the ancient armies. They, the scorched earth technique. Um, you know, they would just come in and they would just level everything and, and take away everything so that nothing would be left. Um, and it would be a complete, uh, destruction. And then the final, uh, uh, the fifth woe, uh, it does not start with the word, but, uh, the cause. What value is an I, I, idol? Oh, before I get there, I wanted, uh, there was an article, uh, note I wanted to make here. It's interesting that the cup of God's wrath, um, is being passed on to the Babylonians. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's son, I think it was, a uh, uh, forget his name now. Uh, but anyway, it was, and they, uh, they were at that banquet. Okay. And they were, uh, doing what Babylonians do best. And they were uh, getting drunk and, uh, you know, uh, eating, uh, gluttonously. Uh, and, um, they even announced that they wanted the, the, the gold cups from the Israelite temple that they had, uh, they had captured to be brought out and they were drinking with them and having a grand old time of uh, recounting their conquests. And then the hand of the Lord appeared, remember, and the writing on the wall. All right. And, uh, you know, Mini, Mini, Tikal, Parson. Okay. You have been weighed and you have been found wanting. All right. And, uh, and they, you know, the, the, the king had to go and get Daniel to interpret that. All right. And to let him know that God's judgment now, the cup of God's wrath, was coming upon Babylon, and it would not be long before uh, they would be conquered uh, as a as a as a nation. All right, the yes. Uh, go ahead. Do you do you think? I mean, we can only surmise. We can only because we really don't know. But do, I I don't know. I think the pandemic is sort of like this. You know, I think it's it's not a. It, it covers the whole world. It covers everybody. And I just think that God is so patient and so loving. But there is a point where, you know, maybe, you know, he just wants to shake us up a bit. You know, uh, he could do a heck of a lot more. That's for sure. But um, I do think that he's brought everybody to an attention and everyone is affected in some way. Yes, it's true. Uh, we, you know, we don't have a prophet uh, that tells us that specifically. 
right. um, as as uh, Habakkuk did to the Israelites back then. Uh, but we can't rule it out entirely either. I mean, it, it's not the first plague uh, uh, to to hit mankind. We think of the bubonic plague in Europe that you know killed like you know a third of the population. Mm. Um, and many of them thought it was the hand of God and judgment. All right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, we don't want to rule it out. Um, usually in times like this, oftentimes God uses it to awaken people. Yeah. Like you said. Um, and they begin to think about death and the hereafter. And, you know, they begin to ask, uh, uh, people that are quote religious questions, you know, and, uh, you know, what about this or what about that? Or, you know, um, and you're liable to get somebody asking you questions because they're spurred on by their fear of death. Not only that, but I do think that this world is godless other than Christians, maybe, you know, um, but I do think so. And I think that um, I think it's maybe his way of saying, come to me, <laughs> you know, Um you know, that's, that's what I think anyway. But Annette, it's, it's, it's interesting that, that I believe you're right, but is the world even paying attention? Has it been yeah, a great revival? Yeah, I, I would have a very hard time with something like that. Think of not being a Christian and the message that you're receiving as, oh yeah, God killed my mother so that I would get his attention. Not a very loving message. Well, I mean, he wasn't, he's, he's loving, but he certainly has Just. wiped out the Israelites, sent them off into Egypt. He sent them, I mean, he's done this over and over again. He has punished. I, think, has, that, yeah, he, I think in the context of this, the context yeah. of this story, right, of, of this the book, is that the the king, right, of Israel, and pass about, this is what I want a clarification on. The whole idea here is that they've received warning Right. The prophets have, have, have given them a warning. God has been very patient and they just didn't care. They would not turn from their sin. Very different situation where we, you know, like we, you know, we, we're preaching the gospel. We're, we're like in a different uh, period. I'm, you know, how, how do you how do you make a parallel between the two, John? I don't, uh, I don't think so. But OK, I'll let Pastor answer. I don't, I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, we have to recognize that indeed that God does use, uh, punishment to get yeah. people's attention. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, yes, your mother may have died, your father may have passed, uh, loved ones may have gone, um, and that's either going to drive you away or it, it, it may draw you to God. Um, but it, the scriptures are, have lots of instances of that. Yeah. All right. Um, but on the other hand, uh, as we come to the, you know, the New Testament, obviously, uh, it, we, there's more emphasis on, on the preaching of the gospel and the punishment that Christ endured for us rather than that we have to get the punishment in any, in any fashion. You know, what's interesting, Pastor, I, I'm struck, struck by the difference in the way God is instructing his people to behave. So it, post-Calvary, it's love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Like, you don't, don't revive, don't pay back evil good with evil with bad pay back evil with good and the pre-calvary it's basically like why isn't god telling his people the same message that he told him that he's telling them later on 
And if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he should be saying the same thing then as he should now to his people. Well, what what he's saying here, okay, um, is what he says in the, you know, in the New Testament also. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's not telling the people to do things. He's saying, just stand and watch what I do. And vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Guys, when we get... When we get to the final judgments of God upon the earth in the book of Revelations, they're far greater than almost anything you could see in the Bible up to that point. And, I mean, this is just a taste of what what the plagues will be in the book of Revelations, where it talks about a quarter of the earth uh, dying of plague and a third of the earth dying of fire. This is going to be traumatic judgment. And we're just in the beginning parts of this. And they're, even though God says, love your enemies, Jesus says, love your enemies. He's talking to the Christians and how we interact with each other. But God will place judgment on sin sooner or later. It will happen. Nations will be removed. Churches are removed from the lamppost. There's judgment for not obeying God and turning away. There definitely away. is. Yeah, there definitely yeah. is. Uh, but I, th- but the instructions to God's people by God are to love your enemies in the New Testament. But I don't hear that in the old. Like when armies come against Israel, it's like, listen, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. But yet when people were persecuting Christians, it was, you don't revile back. You just take the persecution and die. And I, I'm, I'm sure there's a, I understand the reasons because the, and I understand God is the same, even though he's, he's acting differently and giving different instructions. So the, the Israel, Israelites were God's people. He didn't, he instructed them differently or he didn't instruct them the same way. And he has every right to do that. And he has every right to, but I don't hear the love your enemy. I don't hear the prophets saying to the Israelis, please don't revile back. Don't pay back evil with evil, but pay back evil with good. It seems like it's a different message. And God has every right to do that. I'm not saying that it's because right. the situation's different, the people are different. This, so am I the only one who sees that as like the way as God is instructing his people to act differently or yeah, not I'm, act the same? I'm thinking of the Psalms when David prayed to God and the things that he was asking God to do to his enemies is not something that I think he would want us to pray for our enemies. I mean he really <laughs> came down so hard and said things about how they should be punished, that God should show them no mercy. And and really, he just said, you know, give them what they deserve. Yeah. So, I don't, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, like Sal said, I don't see that in the New Testament. The, the, I don't think God would be pleased if we prayed that. I, I want to say something. I think that it's because of Jesus. God is still saying the same thing. But Jesus is the one pleading on our behalf, interceding. That is why it doesn't sound like God is still saying, um, like, you know, I'm going to consume them or people are praying that kind of prayer because of Jesus. Jesus is, you know, our advocates, you know, praying, asking God to have mercy on us. Because left for God, if, if Jesus didn't come, then of course we are going to get it. Like he's going to, if you seen like he did to the Israelites, if they if they are more moral and he would send like snakes to come and you know kill them and stuff like that, you know God was will still be 
doing that to us. But I think it's because Jesus came and his kind of, his son came and interceding on our behalf. That's why it's kind of like they look down. I don't know. Yeah, the, uh, you know, um, in, the, in the Old Testament, okay, um, oftentimes these enemies were used by God, as in this example, as divine punishment. Okay, other times um, to, to test uh, the resolve and the faith of God's people. Right, but I can't recall uh, anywhere where he really gives a lot of instruction to the people to kind of take up arms and, and go out and, and kill this one or that one. Um, I could be just forgetting, but uh, it doesn't come to my mind too often, uh, that type of thing. But he says, stand and see what I do. Yeah, I, I just jumping on top of yours, Pastor, in both Testaments, no, I'll take care of it. You don't do this, you know. Uh, you don't uh, revile your enemy. I'll take care of it. You'll be punished by me in my time. I will do it. And the, the emphasis is on what God does and says to uh, his people, don't don't worry. You know, you live your life. Do what you need to do uh, in my sight. I'll take care of the rest. You know, I, I'll take care of those people who are reviling you. So... Stand back and watch me. Right. And and the thing is that, you know, both in the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament, I mean, people speak their opinion. You know, David calls down uh, curses upon the enemy. All right. But look what Paul does uh, in Galatians about the false teachers. If anyone teaches anything else, let him be damned. All right. So, you know, there's, there's a cause of taking a stand, uh, but action Again, uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I think Jesus also personified turning the other cheek, loving his enemies. Like his very life is what we're to emulate. So that's that's why it's God is not like, maybe because Jesus hadn't appeared yet in, in the flesh, and uh, he we would we want to emulate him, and he was so uh, he was loving those who hated him and, and didn't revile back. That's how we should behave. So. I just, I don't see, I don't see God doing that. Although God does say he's the final judgment and don't worry, I'll pay everybody back, even though you don't, may not see it now in my own way. So maybe, but Jesus had not been revealed in the flesh. I don't know. That's, that seems like one big difference that they didn't have back then. Right. But, um, uh, you know, but, but they are called, they are called to live righteous lives. All right. And there's plenty of uh, uh, call to treating your neighbor well etc. in the Old Testament as well as in the New. Uh, somebody was going to say something, John? Yeah, well, Sal, just so you know, too, that there was judgment placed upon Israel for what they did to Jesus in 70 AD. The Jerusalem was leveled by Rome. That would have been a clear judgment upon them. So there was a, a cause and effect of their of their sin to what happened to Jesus. Okay, thanks, John. All right, let's uh, let me finish up then with the uh, the fifth woe. All right, um, of of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman, or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, "Come to life," 
or to lifeless stone wake up? Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now, obviously, this is a woe against uh, idolatry and the foolishness of relying upon one's own creation. Uh, Isaiah 21, 8 and 9 is where uh, the Lord tells them to post a watchman. And he, it says, and he looked out and shouted, day after day, my Lord, I stand on the watchtower. Every night I stay at my post. Look, here comes a man in a chariot with a team of horses. And he gives back the answer. Babylon has fallen, has fallen. All the images of its gods lie shattered on the ground. All right. So again, this is again, a, uh, the Lord uh, telling what's going to happen. And you trust in those idols and, you know, they're just going to be smashed to the ground. There's no life in them. But the Lord is in his holy temple and all the earth be silent. Well, oftentimes we read this and we, uh, we think that this is a, a really applies to worship, but rather it's, it's really within the context, uh, a call to reflect upon the, the terrible state of those who fall into the hands of an angry God. Uh, look at Revelations 8.1. We're talking about Revelations uh, back and forth here. It says that, you know, the great multitude with the palm branches, they had been worshiping and they're crying aloud uh, to God. And then it reads this way, salvation is yelling, uh, screaming, singing, excuse me. <laughs> um, salvation belongs to our God. And angels standing around the throne, falling before him, saying amen and praise and glory. And then in uh, chapter 8, verse 1 of Revelation, it says, And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Just before all those uh, seals were opened and the uh, destruction and judgment that John was talking about uh, that would be poured out upon it, there was silence. And one author puts it this way, the unexpected hush in heaven ought to tell us that something huge, something powerful, something utterly decisive is now going to happen. And so indeed it is. The seven trumpets of judgment are about to sound. And it's indeed a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. And such judgment stops all of our objections and complaints and rationalizations and excuses and opposition. And it leaves everyone being judged, kind of holding their breath. But it also speaks to those who live by faith. Walter Chantry writes, uh, as if to say, I hold in my hands all enemies who threaten you. Although they may do my will, they will never totally destroy my people. I place my servants, Joseph, Mordecai, Daniel, and Nehemiah in the most powerful positions within heathen governments to preserve my people. I send angels to keep her enemies from obliterating my people in the most destructive assaults. The gates of hell will not prevail. Silence your fear. The just shall live by faith. And faith 
coming out of this chapter uh, is resting in the truth of God's word, that he is sovereign, that he rules, that he does as he pleases in heaven and on earth, and that no one can stay his hand. And these judgments that are going to come upon the Babylonians, though they tarry, wait for it, for it will certainly come and it will not delay. So we can trust God's word and his promises to us that though we may not have them right now, we still look forward to them. And we know that if he has spoken them, it will be. And that's when, when I hear those words, you know, it, it makes me think of two things. You know, you could either be, you know, a living sacrifice where your your life is just, um, you know, is sacrificially living for the Lord, you know, sharing the, the, the gospel, working, you know, uh, expanding the kingdom of God. Right. And that can bring light to the world or you can actually potentially be used, I think, by God uh, as, as an offering, you know, and, you know, in this particular case. A lot of people, you know, may have been good, may have been, you know, living according to what, you know, God wanted of them, but they still fell into all that punishment, right? They were still conquered by the Babylonians. They were still slaughtered. Um, so we don't know where we fit in. I think that we're still called to honor God. Uh, we, we're still called to wait for it. We're still called to be faithful and trust in the goodness of God and understand that, you know, regardless of, you know, all the, all the bad things that may happen that in the end, like you said, God will triumph. He, the, 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 the end is written, right? It's like, you know, that, that whole story about, you know, recording the, you know, putting the DVR on or the VHS to record the game. And then you're watching it and you're worried, you know, are they going to win? Are they not going to win? But you know, the score. So, you know, at the end of the day, you can like catch yourself and say, Oh, we win anyway. So I know how it ends, but you still go through the motions of, of struggling through the game. Um, I think it's the same way here. You know, we know that God is going to tri be triumphant. We know the trumpet will sound, you know, uh, he, he is going to sit on the throne, but we're going to go through all of these things. And our job is to be faithful. Our job is to, you know, not, not allow our, our sinful nature to trick us into doubting the goodness of God and whatever God has in store for us, whether it's good and we ride through life, you know, in easy street, or we uh, struggle and even we suffer some pain, that's what we're called to just honor God regardless. And, and yeah, and that's my thought anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 it's right on Steve. <clears throat> you know, um, too many times, uh, you know, Christians think that, you know, of course they're Christians, <clears throat> you know, life should be a, a kind of a rose garden. Um, and we should do well and live long and healthy and, uh, not be too, uh, have too many concerns and troubles. But, but I don't know where they get that from. <laughs> you know, you look at the, the, the prophets in the Old Testament and, uh, you know, they had it hard. And many of them were killed in the New Testament. All the disciples were, were all martyred and killed. And God's people throughout history have, have suffered, uh, greatly. And many times, you know, you, you read about, you know, look, you you think about missionaries that, uh, you know, go off, give up everything. They train, they go off and, uh, you know, they are martyred, you know, in a short time. And you say, what was the point of all that? All right. And you see, you ask why like, like that. But, uh, you know, uh, 
I'm thinking of the the group that went down to South America there. Uh, uh, what's their name? Escapes me now. Jim Elliot. 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 Thank you, Elliot. And there was another one, a young couple that went to China. All right. Um, and and these people were 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 martyred, you know, with hardly even starting. And people say why, but what they failed to see is that because they were martyred, it brought a whole new wave of younger missionaries wanting to take their place. So others went into the into studying to be missions and went back to that same field. And God did a, a greater work that, you know, and obviously that those missionaries who died were part of that plan. Right. I I always thought that when, when people die tragically for uh, when they advance God's kingdom, I mean, as hard as it is for those, his, their loved ones who are behind, that they... <laughs> they were on the other side of eternity. So they're experiencing God's glory earlier than they would if they stayed on earth. But the other thing I was going to say is just based on what we're talking about, God's wrath can be so um, severe and so harsh is that I think sometimes we just minimize when we talk about the fe- that we, we need to fear the Lord and we talk, well, we kind of like sugarcoat it. Oh no, it doesn't mean, you know, trembling. It doesn't mean, you know, you, you should be, you know, afraid you know it's all you, you just have to be in awe of him and and <laughs> marvel at how he is and and um but we need to tremble <laughs> and certainly i think certainly for people who don't believe because as we spoke about today and we, when we read revelations it's going to be really harsh i mean it's going to be very severe his judgment is is going to be not not what we, it's not going to be minimize. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree with you, Anna. I think that, uh, you know, for too long, we have kind of domesticated God. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's an old saying that, uh, you know, a, a tiger, uh, a tiger that has been tamed is not a tiger. And, um, you know, the same, same with God. We, we fail. We think what we know him, we, we have him in a box and, you know, he's always a, just a nice God. And, uh, you know, we think he's much like us, you know, and we have no real concept of his wrath. It's not a popular topic, nor is hell. <laughs> uh, and you're lucky you can talk about sin. <clears throat> I remember when Helen and I went up to Winston, uh, Winstead, Connecticut, uh, to do that, that inter- intentional interim ministry up there. We were called by like the only group of believers uh, that was in the church. And we thought the whole church was like that. All right. And so they called us and they said, we just need somebody to preach the Bible to us. And how can you turn that down? You know, it's like the Macedonian call, you know, come up here. So, so we went up there and, and it wasn't long that we discovered that that group was like the only real group of believers. Everybody else were like liberal, you know, uh, thinkers. And I started to preach about sin and boy, did I hear it. Yeah, I said, oh, you know, oh no, we got one of these fundamentalists here now, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and we, we had a very difficult time there wrestling with that church, trying to get them on straight and narrow. And when we were rewriting the, the, uh, the, uh, the doctrinal statement and not the doctrinal statement that the constitution, um, we couldn't agree on everything. And I then, you know, the Lord gave me a stroke of brilliance. I said, okay, 
Let's go back to what was written at the founding of the church. You know, because it was like 150 years old or something. And I, I know that if it's a Christian church and you go back 150 years, you're almost certainly going to be on solid ground. <clears throat> and we dug out out of the archives and dusted it off, you know, the the old doctrinal statement. And sure enough, you know, it was point right on. And they still wrestled against it. And I could not get them to put the words born again in the doctrinal statement. They were going to like lynch me if I did that. You know, I mean, that's how, that, but you, you know, this is, this is what people don't want to hear. You know, they don't want to hear that. And yet it's going to be true. And, you know, uh, the judgment will be there and it will be terrifying. And, uh, you know, uh, be silent. Everybody will be silent, be silent in dread and fear. And, uh, you know, and, and, and we'll even believers, I believe will be silent because we know it's coming, but it's going to be so awful. Mm. No, we deserve it. We know we deserve the exact same yes. thing. Yes. And we know it's severe because we saw the severity of Christ's death and punishment. I mean, he wasn't rescuing us from, you know, 30 lashes mm. or a, a wet noodle or something. He was rescuing us from this wrath that you're describing. And we'll be standing there probably weeping like that should be us, but not for his mercy for us, you know. Amen, Sal. Preach it. Absolutely. You know, Pastor, when I read this verse, um, you read this section in verses 18 through 20, and it's talking about really what you would call a real idol, you know, something made out of wood and something that's covered with gold and silver. But whenever I read passages that talk about idols, I think to myself, like, well, I don't worship idols of wood and go- covered with gold and silver. But if I was to really to be honest with everybody, I have my own idols. And, um, uh, even though this doesn't specifically, it may not be general, but yet I can still say, but with, if I can put those idols aside, yeah, the Lord is in his holy temple and he is preeminent. Yeah, you know, the Bible uh, uses the expression elsewhere. It says <clears throat> to be aware of the idols of your heart. You know, it's a very powerful statement about, you know, what, what do you basically put before God? Yeah. And, uh, we all have to be uh, aware and careful that we don't allow uh, some idol uh, to take the place and the priority that God should have in our lives. I had, um, I had, I, I struggled with that. Actually, Danny and I were talking about this and he, he told me like, yeah, you know, you, you're putting, you know, sometimes we put idols, you know, ahead of God. And I'm like, I, I've heard it so many times like now, right? I was like, I've never experienced it. And then one day I was having a really bad day. And of course, instead of turning to God, you know, for my rescue, you know, my, my strength and, you know, I, I turned to ice cream or I turned to something else, you know, even worse. Right. And I realized I was like, oh, wow, I am so tempted to do this, but I know what I'm supposed to do. And, and I realized, yeah, I'm, I'm putting something else in front of God. I know that God is supposed to be my strength. I know he's, I'm supposed to run to him in times of trouble, but I'm putting something else and it became so real. And I think that we do it all the time. Um, but it became so real at that moment. Um, but I wanted to ask something. Um, so when we, when we are experiencing this turmoil, you know, uh, like, like these folks here, is it wrong to, you know, question God to say, Lord, why? No, not at all. 
Uh, we, you know, we've seen Job do it. We've seen Habakkuk do it now. And almost all the prophets do it. All right. Um, with, that's just being human. Um, I, I, I think it almost has to do with the, the, the tone that we ask, if we could say that. All right. I always remember my, my, my mom would say, you know, when we were getting uh, kind of mouthy back, back to her, she'd say, you watch that tone. Oh yeah. You know, because there was that line in the sand, you know, you could, you could, you know, voice your objections. But when that tone kind of crossed that line, you know, then you're going to get your teeth knocked out. All right. <laughs> My old dear sweet mom. All right. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I think that's kind of, kind of the way God looks at it. You know, he knows we're human and we, we, we pour out our question. We can even raise a fist to heaven. All right. But, uh, you know, it comes a time that, uh, you know, he, he will, he might humble us. Um, go ahead, John. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that. To talk about what Steve, Jesus Christ said, let you go. my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, even he asked. So, mm-hmm. I was just going to say to uh, from what Steve was saying before, it's it's okay to ask God why, but be prepared for the answer as well, because God will give. God may may not, or he, most times when I'm asking those questions, He gives me the answer. I may not like the answer, but he gives me the answer. As long as he doesn't say, you're not going to believe what I'm going to do, Steve. (laughs) Then we know it's really bad. (laughs) Sometimes he says, just wait and watch. Or sometimes he says, well, you got to look at yourself and where you're at right now with your own sinfulness. I was only going to say that the time Christians, unbelievers don't fear God because they don't believe in him. Right. But Christians, we should fear God. Because we do believe him, not that we're condemned, not that we know we're going to hell, but that we're displeasing God is enough to to bring fear of of that, if I could use that right term. What I mean is when I recognize that I am away from God and I'm committing sin, like say I'm in a marriage or my marriage or my family and I do something destructive, I know I'm answerable to God for that. So there's, I do have an understanding of who God is. And I have a fear of what God will do to me if I don't, if I don't treat my, my family right. So I don't know if that's, if that's a fear, a healthy fear, not healthy fear, but that's what I would say a Christian fear should be. The fear of a uh, sin and obedience. Yeah. There is a place for, for healthy fear. I mean, you know, uh, even in bringing people to salvation. All right. I mean, you go back, uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards' uh, famous uh, sermon, all right, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And, you know, he just described the terrors of hell and, you know, that God was holding them over the flames, but, you know, by a spider's, you know, web. Um, and, and, and people were horrified. And, you know, they, they called upon the name of the Lord and they were saved, um, to avoid, you know, to avoid uh, hell fire. And uh, obviously many of those were authentic. Uh, conversions, uh, there's a place for fear. You know, now we don't want to talk about punishment and hell and wrath. And, you know, we talk about hell and, you know, we say, well, well, eternal separation from God. I don't know how much weight that carries when people, you know, are separated from God and they could care less if they was around. You know, it doesn't really sound any different than the way they're living now. Uh, um, so, uh, we, but we do have to uh, know 
who God is uh, through his word, his revelation, not the idol that we might create about him in our minds and how we think he should operate. I think God would be. Um, I think one of the most difficult words to use with God is that he's just. I mean, in our minds, just means do it our way, maybe, you know, make the outcome come out good. But in his way, you know, our mind is very small. And like you said, we put him in a box. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts aren't our are the way we think. So being just is not what we think. Um, and I think that's one of the most complicated things to think of it as a human, don't you think? Uh, sure. We, we think when we think say just, we, th- we want to say fair. Yes. All right. And that's, and that doesn't work. No. All right. If God, if God, you know, I mean, God is just, um, yeah. but if it was fair. The only thing we would get is condemnation. Yeah. Right. But in his justice, he pours out that just wrath on Christ Mm. and not us. All right. Um, So and uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, the more we explore God and the more we learn of him and all his attributes, I think the more humbling it becomes to us. Yeah. And um, and I, I can't think of any better study than to study who our God is and his attributes. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I think God says you underestimate how great a reward you have. You to think that you are, this is suffering. We are, we do, we just can't see how great it is that we are with him. We can't fathom it. No. And so everything seems small when we, we think of that. We just don't know how to think of that. You know, mm-hmm. that's what well, it is. Yeah. You're right. We, well, we, we are small in many ways, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Very good. I was just going to say that the when Steve mentioned when we go to God and we question Him and and say why and sometimes with very you know very deep emotion because things are so bad that um, I I think we'd be pleased because first you're acknowledging Him that He exists and I think you're basically also saying that you know He has power like He has the answer so I, I I you know I think in a way because I think a lot of people. It depends on, again, how you, you know, what kind of relationship you have with him. But if you know him and you're going to him and you're screaming why, you're crying out to him, I think that that's, you know, that just shows you, that shows him uh, where you are with him, that he's yeah. the one you're turning to. Yeah. You know, just yeah. acknowledging that he's the one who would know, he's the one who had the power to do whatever, he's the one to turn to, you know, for strength. Sure. I, think I mean, that, even... Yeah. Even the, the passage that I read before on, on, on Martha, you know, she didn't use the word why, but she said, Lord, if you would have been here, mm-hmm. all right, um, and yet, you know, the Lord loved her, all right, and he understood perfectly her grief, uh, so. Yeah. All right, folks, thank you so much for this evening, and uh, I have to tell you one last thing, okay? Uh, we should give a round of applause to uh, Steve Mazzari, because uh, I could not get on Zoom at all, and, uh, um, he stopped on the way home from, from work at my house and he, he redid his magic here and I was able to do it because I was ready to, we were going to have to cancel classes otherwise. So, applause for Steve. Thank you, Steve. So he made the class work. Oh, thank you, Steve. Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. All your knowledge. I know. Wow.
Uh, Steve, so can you close us out in prayer? Amen. God, we thank you, Lord, for your Lord to us. We thank you, God, that we can cry out to you. Lord, with our hearts broken, Lord, we can cry out to you and ask why, Lord, sometimes. We don't understand why things happen the way they happen, Lord, but like John said, we do have to question our hearts, Lord, and humbly come before you, Lord, asking, is it something in our hearts, Lord? Is it something that we fail to do, Lord? Or is it something that you're showing us, Lord? Is it what is our part in the in the suffering, Lord? And so we pray that you will work in our hearts, Lord, that you will transform our hearts mm-hmm. like your son Jesus, Lord, like Sal said, Lord, that we will turn the other cheek, Lord, that we will take the punishment perhaps that, that we deserve, Lord, or the punishment that we're a part of, Lord, and mm-hmm. that we will honor you and never learn um Dishonor you with our words, Lord, with our actions. God, that we will shine our light to those around us, Lord, and, and, and let your love, Lord, be spread even through our, our life, Lord, whether we are suffering, Lord, or mm. whether we are enjoying, Lord, all the blessings that you give us that you pour in our lives, Lord. We thank you, God, for this study. We thank you for what you're teaching us through this book. And we pray, Lord, that you will continue to open our hearts and our minds that we may receive your love, Lord, and learn about your attributes, Lord, and learn about how much you love us. Mm. We pray for um, a beautiful, um, restful rest of the of the week, Lord, and that we will be able to gather in your house on Sunday to worship you and learn about your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. 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 All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. 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 Good night.